You know, I got um, saved when I was 18 years old at a church called Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Ever heard of that church? Can you imagine a church, 20,000 people? That's all. That's the only church I'd ever been to. I got saved there. And uh, how do you get involved in a church of 20,000 people? And um, when they gave the invitation to accept the Lord, I was so afraid that I went in the bathroom and I raised my hand at that church to get saved. No one saw, but... I think the Lord saw, and um, for a long time, I just, like, how do you get involved? How, how do you, how can you serve? And I'd go in the bathrooms, and I'd wipe down all the urinals after the Bible study would start, and pick up all the toilet paper, and all the seat protectors, and wipe all the sinks down, and, and I'd just say, God, I want to serve you. I don't know, I don't know how to serve you, but, and I, I think back now, all these years later, I'm 53 now, and I think back, I think, you know, I know God saw that. Just a heart in us that says, you know what, maybe I can't do much, but I want to serve. I think, I think when we get saved, that is there. We don't want to just watch other people serve. We, we realize God wants to use us some way. That's what makes a church so incredible is everybody has a gift. Everyone has a place. And, you know, I was young and, um, I didn't know really how to uh, be used by the Lord. And the Lord started putting on my heart, hey, um, just be the one that says, let's pray. I don't know anything. Probably didn't even know it. Probably didn't even, couldn't even say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John at that time. But I could just say, hey, uh, the whole like group of us friends are going to uh, play mini golf. Hey, l- let's pray before we go. Oh, good idea, Rob. Okay, let's all, let's all pray. And God would... God would inevitably meet us. And, you know, the night would be over. We'd be doing something and everybody would be leaving. And I'd just say, hey, 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 let's all join hands and pray before we go. And and it's powerful. And we'd pray together. And I just kind of realized that's that maybe that was something I had. I could just always be the one that says, let's pray. And, you know, it's a funny thing when you get newly saved and what God starts in your life. Because here I am, you know, I've been saved all these years now. And nothing's really changed. I'm still the person saying, let's pray. And uh, we just celebrated in Corvallis. Do you, th- what, do you think of Corvallis as being a really uh, a spiritual place? Uh, no, it's uh, anything but a spiritual place. You'd think the spirit would be alive. But we just finished, Susie and I just finished 25 years. We're not finished, but, but the, the 25th year has come that we've been there pastoring. And I uh, came with a one-year-old, and I'll, I'll talk about my kids in a little bit, but 25 years we've had a Saturday night prayer meeting. That's what we're celebrating for 25 continuous years, saying, hey, let's pray, because if we'll pray, God will move. And that prayer uh, grew into daily prayer meetings at the church over there. And that prayer grew into a week of fasting and prayer. I know you guys do that too. And uh, we just had our 11th year of fasting and prayer. And we do the three sessions like you guys do in uh, morning, noon, and evening. In the evening times, between three and 500 people every night were coming to prayer. Powerful. We're, we're just celebrating 25 years of prayer meetings. Because you know what? Prayer is where the power is. And we've been talking about prayer 
all weekends. It's a great, great season in our lives to celebrate 25 years. All that God has done. And, you know, coming over to speak to the men, uh, man, my heart's prayer. What are we going to talk about at retreat? We're going to talk about prayer. I'm still that person calling, just really wherever I go, calling people to prayer. And we want to look at it, a message called Asking, Receiving, and Abundant Joy. And this uh, uh, message comes out of John 16, as you can see. And as we study John 13 to 17, that's called... I just figured out, Rory, we got a screen right there, too. Yeah, I'm catching on already. Yeah, uh, John 13 to 17, as you're in those chapters, those chapters are called the Upper Room Discourse. Maybe you've heard that. See, Upper Room Discourse, John 13 to 17. And when you come to the Upper Room Discourse, you're now in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. So that's pretty significant to listen uh, to Jesus. It's insightful to uh, listen to Jesus and to hear the things. What was most important to Jesus the night before he was going to be crucified? And let's look at our text. This is the night before he was crucified, John 16, 23. And he says, in that day, you'll ask me nothing. And that day when I'm resurrected, most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. Because, because of my death and resurrection, payment for sin, you're now going to be able to address the Father. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. And then Jesus says this, and it's what our message is titled, Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So, this is when you're in that last 24-hour period with Jesus in the upper room. This is the third time that Jesus teaches on prayer. So he's about to be crucified. What is on his heart? Three times he talks about prayer. In chapter 14, we learn that prayerfulness is directly connected to great works. Really strong teaching. God wants us to do great works. How are we going to do those great works? Two things. It's going to be prayer, and it's going to be the Holy Spirit. That's the teaching of chapter 14. Chapter 15, we learn that prayerfulness is not only directly connected to great works, but it's connected to us being fruitful. We're going to abide in Jesus. He's going to abide in us, and we're going to be fruitful. And Jesus said, we're going to ask whatever we desire, and he'll do it for us if we ask in his name. And, and so you find the second teaching, this night before he's crucified. And then you come to John 16. Now, this is the third time he teaches. And this time we read in our text that prayerfulness is directly connected to joyfulness. So Jesus just has a lot to say. You know, it's... if. You're not spending time in prayer. You're not going to walk in great works. If you don't have a prayer life, you won't be fruitful the way the Lord wants you to be fruitful. You know what? If you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not growing in prayer, that was the, that was what the men were doing. They, we were just growing in prayer and prayer leads to joyfulness. So look, look at our text at, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So you got to ask. And uh, Jesus talks about asking a lot. And here in the Greek language, we don't see it in the English language, but it means you have to keep asking. Prayer involves not asking just one time. God wants us to ask and keep asking and keep asking. You know what? If we will keep asking, we'll receive. 
And our joy will be full. Look at another passage. Maybe you've read that passage, Matthew 7. And again, he says the same thing. Ask and it will be given you. What you don't see is it's keep asking. So this is the promise. Ask, keep asking, it'll be given you. Seek, you got to keep seeking and you'll find. Knock, keep knocking, it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, who keeps asking, receives. Everyone who keeps seeking, finds. Everyone who keeps knocking, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, are you, you going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask. Right? We're we're fathers. Man, we want so much for our kids, don't we? If you're you're a good father, man, you just want to bless your kids. But, you know, if you're a good father, sometimes you do say no. That's, That's because you're good. You know that's not what's best for them. Sometimes you know it's not the right timing. Maybe you're eight-year-old, you know, or five-year-old, and you've got a gun all picked out for him, and you want him to be shooting skeet with the rest of the men, but you just know he needs to wait. He needs to wait. There'll be a right time. You've got the gun. You've got it all picked out. You're so excited for that season, but it's not now. Good. It's a good father. You know, any of you that didn't have a good father... Boy, you need to spend even more time in the Word of God so that it can be written correctly on you. Just what a good father is. God's a good father. God has good things we read to those who ask. Yeah, but I I don't understand that. Why do I have to keep asking and asking? I mean, doesn't God hear? Uh, I mean, does 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 He enjoy me groveling at His feet? Is that what He is that what He likes? He likes it when I just have to ask and ask and ask and just grovel before He'll finally do it. No, you you've completely missed it. You see, the asking isn't getting God to do your will. The asking is God getting you to do his will. And it's amazing when we start asking, and it doesn't happen, and we ask, and we ask. It's amazing how God starts changing us. And he even changes what we ask for when we've been asking for something long enough. We might start with a very small, me-centered perspective when we start asking that. And when it doesn't happen and we ask and we ask and we ask and it starts shifting, really, really, God, I want what brings you the most glory. That's when you're getting closer to God answering the prayer. You know, a lot of times the reason the answer is no or not yet, it's not the right timing. That's why we keep asking. We ask and we ask and we ask and we ask. And then the Lord Lord says, now. And now we're lined up with his timing. You know, God's a God of timing. You know, Jesus came into the world at the fullness of time. Jesus is coming again at just the right hour. I mean, when you listen to Jesus, like all through the Gospels, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. He tells the disciples, your time's always ready. Like that, God and I have a, quite a laugh about that. I'm, I'm always ready now. Lord, let's do it now. But God wants us 
to be living according to his timing. And look what we, we read when we do ask. When the time of receiving does come, your joy will be full. And look at the New Living Translation. We'll just, I'll just pull it up on the overheads. John 16, 24. Ask and you'll receive and you'll have abundant joy. Right? Just different translations just kind of, you know, just bring it alive. Listen to the Message Bible, how it translates it even a little different. You'll ask and you'll receive and your joy will be a river overflowing its banks. That's a Greek scholar trying to get normal people to just their mind to light up and go, wow, joy will just exude out of you. How, does, how do you have joy like that? It's prayer. It's praying. It's receiving. And uh, being that Susie and I have been here 25 years in Oregon, uh, we came with a, a one-year-old. We came to a little church of 11 people. Uh, we would go to Kinko's to get bulletins made. We always had two extra bulletins made when we met in the senior center. Just in case we had some guests that week, we'd have a couple extra bulletins. And you know, now the church is on over 50 acres with an outdoor amphitheater under 200-year-old old oak trees and a congregation of a 1,000 people. And, oh, I think we have 30 elders and 20 deacons. And uh, this week of fasting and prayer from 6 to 7 at night, the room of leaders was 60 people every night, just the leaders praying so that when the hundreds of people would come for prayer, we would be ready. Oh, I tell you what, what great joy when you ask and you receive. I want to bring up a prayer. Uh, this is a prayer that Susie and I, and I guess in sharing the things I'm going to share with you right now, I, I've taught the men, and I just, my heart would just be to stir up prayer here. How fully could God stir up prayer after what the men have been taught? This is a prayer from 1994. We, I was high school pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa. Uh, we knew we were leaving. We had no idea where. And Susie and I prayed this over and over again. We don't care where you send us. East Coast. We almost went to the East Coast. West Coast. Deserts. Mountains. I think he, the Holy Spirit tricked us into praying rain or shine. <laughs> But we prayed it, rain or shine, we just want to go where you're doing a work. And man, we prayed that so, we held hands and prayed that, we cried that out so many times, and man, did God answer that prayer. What a joy! Go to a little senior center that grew into the high school and grew in from the theater into the cafeteria and we rented a whole middle school and, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit about how that came to pass, but what, what an incredible joy to be part of asking and receiving. Uh, when I was at Costa Mesa, there was a women's prayer meeting and that women's prayer meeting was a hundred plus women. And if you were a pastor on staff, uh, they invited you, you could come into the women's prayer time. And these women were just fiery women. And uh, you could hear them. You could hear them singing and shouting and praying. And as a youth pastor, I learned really quick, you know what, that's the a, that's a place to go. You go in there. And I'd go in there, and they're all praying, and then they'd stop. Oh, stop. The high school pastor's here. Rob's here. They'd put a chair in the middle, and I sat down in the chair, and they'd all kind of gather around, and then one would lead out in a song over me. hundred women singing over you. They'd be laying hands on you. 
They'd pray over you. And then this little uh, Carol McClure, about 70 years old, she started to prophesy. And she had her, I can still see her, her little frail arms. She was pumping them like an armada firing. And she goes, I see this great armada. And, it, and both hands were going, she goes, and it's shelling Corvallis. And the enemy's territory is being cleared out. And you're going to quickly set up what God wants to set up. And she gave the whole prophecy. And she sat down and she stood back up and she goes, and new music is going to flow from this church. And I tell you, what an incredible joy to pray. You know, pray is not only talking to God, but prayer is also listening. And what a joy to have heard that and then live that out. Boy, you talk about abundant joy. You talk about the fullness of joy. There was this college student named Ryan Smith. And um, he's our worship leader the last 20 years. Now Ryan's music is going around the world. And he's writing songs that are being sang all over, all over the world on different continents. And, and um, God's just raised Ryan up and God cleared out the work quickly. And it's amazing. Just as we pray, just as God spoke, it happened. And what joy that is. Let me just stir up prayer a little more telling you another story. So when our church was the 11 or 12 people, um, we started a Saturday night prayer meeting from the first week I went up there. But you know what the problem is with prayer meetings? No one will go. So one elder, who I kind of made feel guilty if he didn't go, and then someone from the bulletin did respond, an atheist from Corvallis. Because she's just coming to the church. She didn't believe in God, but she thought if God's real, you know where I'm going to find out? I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. Well, guess what? Uh, 25 years later, she's one of the key uh, deaconesses in our church. Prayer is real. God does answer our prayers, and boy, is there such joy. And so we would have this prayer meeting, and, it's, and it was two people, three people, six people that first year. And uh, man, when it was six people, it was really happening, right? Like six people are now praying. And you know what we'd pray for? We'd pray for the young people. It's all that was ever on our heart. This city, Corvallis, the young people are so aimless. We'd pray for young people. We'd, I mean, we'd pray for other things, but what was on our heart, what we were laboring is praying for young people. For weeks after weeks after weeks, we so longed, mostly older people in our church, we so longed to see the next generation reached. And they just seemed so aimless. And, um, and so... Our, our church, we were about, at that time, maybe 25 people in a senior center, and some young people came. God was answering our prayers. I directed my whole message to them. I went right to them afterwards, two college students. They're from the Bay Area visiting. No, no college students still. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. We asked and asked and asked and asked us what? The timing was right. Mike Mahar came. I'm in touch with Mike today and all the guys I'm going to tell you about right now. I'm still in touch with all of them. Mike Mahar came and he said, um, hey, would you come over to OSU and disciple me and a couple friends? And I'm like, Mike, absolutely. I'll come. What time? Tuesday at nine o'clock. 
So I got kids, small kids at home Tuesday, nine o'clock. I'll be there, you know, and, and so I'm doing, um, you know, men's study, high school study, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'm the board. I'm the deacon. I'm the elder. I'm everything, you know, so yep, I'll be there. Now I'm the college pastor. Now I'm the college leader. And I'm, and I'm over there at nine o'clock and uh, eight of Mike's friends are there and we meet and they ask questions and four guys get saved at OSU. And Mike says, will you come back next week? And I'm like, of course I will. On Sunday morning, we had the first row of eight college students in the senior center. And let me tell you, man, we asked, we received, our joy was so full. We've got eight college students. And and I went back to OSU that week, and guess what? There were 16 people in that dorm room sitting on every bunk bed, and six people got saved. I was exhausted. I'm like just pulling out old high school pastor studies. And I go back the next week and they've moved out in the commons area. There's 45 people, no worship, nine o'clock, 45 people standing around. Now what's going on again here? And I'd stand there and I'd share the Lord with 45 people and about five to 10 people got saved. Our church now has four rows of college students. Everyone else has moved over to the other side. And, um, you know, I go back the next week. They had to move down to the downstairs commons area. There's now over 120 kids meeting. No worship. Nine o'clock at night, 120 kids in the commons area. And this kid named Tom Jones, he's getting his master's degree. He gets saved. And so in touch with Tom, he's part of our community. Rory knows Tom. And Tom is so moved. He's so laid hold of by God. The next week when I come, I'm coming to that area, the big commons area in the the dormitory, and I start seeing these posters that Tom has put up around the college. And it says, I told Tom I was going to teach on prophecy the next week, and it says, Pastor Rob will tell you your future. (laughs) And I looked at that sign, I'm like, everything within me wanted to tear that sign down. I'm thinking like, that's like, sounds weird. And the Lord was just like, you don't touch that sign. 160 college kids that night and the school year ended and honestly I was just like I can't go on I'm exhausted I'm so glad the school year ended well you know that's been a 25 year revival that study grew on the OSU campus at its max to 500 kids meeting every week for 25 years we've taken over 200 students to Lake Shasta and kids get saved Every year for the last 25 years, we brought kids over to Sun River and kids get saved every week. I was just the speaker at, uh, it's called real life college mini ministry. Four or five kids got saved. The last week I was there, it's a 25 year revival that just keeps going. God gave us a girl's house as part of that revival with 50 girls that live in one house. That's a move of the spirit to get 50 girls on fire. And don't you know that both my girls that grew up, they didn't want to live there. That no, will never live there. Both of them lived there, and that was key. And both of them being on fire to this day. Before we bought a church, before we had a church home, God told us to buy a girl's house. Tell me that makes sense. You know, that's the wrong order. You get a church first, then you can buy a girl's house. Not, not what God was saying. And I tell you, what an incredible joy. It's like we we read in the message, your joy will be a river overflowing its banks. And 
You know, being 25 years, I've been stirring up prayer at our church, just telling all of these stories, stirring people up, people that go, oh yeah, prayer is so neat, prayer is so great. Even this is so great. Your spirit's going, oh yeah, prayer is so neat. I was at the prayer retreat, oh, prayer is so neat. But you know what? When the prayer meeting comes, guess what? Nobody comes. And just stirring up prayer. Uh, I, tell, I told our church a, a story they never heard just a couple of weeks ago because all year long we're celebrating 25 years of prayer meetings. And um, I'm a mountain bike rider, and I ride out in the uh, McDonald Forest. And when we moved to town, we bought a, a rented a little house by the high school, Corvallis High School. And I would ride my mountain bike out, and I'd come back, and there was always this one corner that's just so picturesque. And I would just tell the Lord whenever I would ride. You know, our, our church had grown. We were maybe 150 people, and I think I made about $8,000 a year at that point. And that's kind of hard to buy a house when you make $8,000 a year. And um, I'd come around the corner, oh, Lord, I love it out here. I love this. I love this area. And I would just pray that every mountain bike ride. I just love being out here. And one time I rode by, and there was a for sale sign. And I thought, well... It's not going to hurt if I ride my mountain bike up and just look at it. Oh, it's at the end of a cul-de-sac and beautiful and uh, in the, the, the forest. And I loved it. And it was 219, came down to 209, rock bottom 201. Uh, we had some money that I had from inheritance. And um, and I told the realtor, I said, hey, would you make us an, uh, an offer? They go, yeah, they're at 201 rock bottom. And I couldn't, can you offer 164? She goes, well, I kind of feel guilty, you know, offer. I, well, I said, it, it is vacant, right, for almost two years now? Well, it is vacant, so we'll, I mean, I'll, I'll offer. You know, they're not getting any offers. And they countered at 184. And uh, my father-in-law, Susie's dad, signed, co-signed with us, too. And she came back, and she said, um, oh, I still want you to get in this house, but... Um, you just don't qualify. You just don't make enough. She goes, but what I haven't told you, she says, you see, I'm the listing agent and the selling agent. And what I haven't told you is you're my last sell. I'm going away to the foreign legion to work in the work corps overseas. And you're going to be my first foreign legion case because with the selling, the listing and selling commission, that's the amount you make. Congratulations, you have a home. Guys, I haven't told that story to our church and your church. When I ride my mountain bike and I come around that corner, I don't even have words to say. You know, you ask things. Lord, you know best. And you ask, and you ask, and you ask. You know, there have been many times I've thought about selling that house and buying a little different one, and the Lord is always in my ear going, don't mess that up. I gave, I gave you that. You really need to be moving boxes and stuff. You just keep working at my work. Don't mess that up. But isn't it so true? We ask for things, and we ask, and we ask, and we receive so we were a mobile church. It's another story. Purposefully, just hoping men... We, we've taught on prayer, hoping just to stir. Something deep would stir. Maybe even something could be imparted to this work here. 
But uh, we were in a senior center, then we were in a high school. The, the funny thing about when we were in the middle school is um, that middle school was condemned seismically. But they let Christians meet there. And so uh, when we would get there, when you'd come in as a new family, there were signs about half the size of one of these window panes, and it said, seismically condemned and un- unsafe to enter. That was always a great place to meet with the new families and their kids. And, hey, come on in. And and our ushers would have to go around with these great big sticks in the gymnasium before the service, and they'd have to poke the tiles. Because when I'd preach, the tiles would sometimes, asbestos tiles, would fall would fall on people. Like, I'd be preaching, I'd be like, oh, just missed them in the back there, you know. And so we had these long poles to, to poke at, and... Um, so we were a mobile church. We rented the whole school during that time. And as you can imagine, we were asking for a home, asking for property, asking to, for a place to build Calvary Corvallis. And for 10 years, maybe 11 years, the Lord wouldn't let us ask a realtor look, to look for a piece of property. Can we, can we get a realtor? Nope. Can we get a little team? No teams. Can we get a little committee? Definitely no committees. Lord, Lord, can we just go look? Nope, you can't look. And for 10 years, I don't know how to explain it to you, but the scripture of Isaac and Ishmael was there. I don't know if you know the story of Isaac and Ishmael. God gave Abraham a promise that he was going to have a son. He's 75 years old. He doesn't have a son. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. He doesn't even have a child. And so he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and years, and years, and years, and go by. And what does he do? He gets tired of waiting. And I'm going to do what the world does. The world just goes into your maidservant. You have a child through your maidservant. The maidservant has that baby on your wife's knees, and that's your child. You solved the problem. I didn't have a child. I solved the problem for you, God. Now we got a child. But God never recognized Ishmael. Ishmael was the work of Abraham's flesh. And Ishmael brought, as all of our works of the flesh bring pain and heartache and strife and separation and long-lasting consequences. And for, you know, like 10, 11 years, the Lord was like, yo, do you want, you want Ishmael or do you want... Isaac means laughter. Or do you want laughter? Do you want joy? Do you want the miracle? Basically, for 11 years, Rob, do you want to do it? Or are you going to wait for me to do it? That's, that's, that's going to be the question. And I got to tell you, during those 11 years, our church knows, I begged God for four acres of asphalt next to Safeway. I mean, I would have been happy with anything. You know what God had for us? 50 acres with a natural amphitheater. I love to preach outside. We have a baptismal now. People just come when I preach, come right down and get baptized all summer long during the services. You know, for, for our church, it's a huge, huge lesson of, are you going to make it happen? Or look what happens when a church waits for God to make it happen. Well, you talk about... Um, Joy. You talk about abundant joy. I was over in our amphitheater a couple summers ago, and you know it's an amazing thing. I'm a mountain biker. There's an incredible mountain bike trail from my house through the forest to the church. 
It's a coincidence, right? Yeah, and I'm, and I'm over there in the amphitheater. I'm laying out under these 200-year-old trees, and I'm just overwhelmed. And I just had this encounter with God where just it, the sense was just like, how are we doing, Rob? How are we doing? Your beautiful wife, your kids. Do you like, like the house? Do you like the house? The mountain bike trail and that nice touch to the church. 200-year-old oak trees. Are you enjoying this? Boy, it's such a joy to give you what you asked for. Almost had the sense like anything else. What? What else? What? What? You want to ask for anything else? Are you done asking? God's such a good God. He, you know, a lot of times we don't have because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we're so self-focused. We won't keep asking. Where we finally learn the right things to ask. Oh, God wants to do so, so much. Let me just tell you a couple more stories, and, and that'll be the purpose I had in my heart to just, I, I pray, just stir, stir Calvary Chapel, Prineville. So when we first got the property, there's just an old house there, and we, we started having the prayer meetings from the first day that we got the 50 acres of property. And uh, we started praying. And you know what we started praying for? We started praying for the nations of the world. It was just kind of interesting. Like, we're praying for the nations. We want to reach the nations. And, and these prayer meetings just we kept coming back. And people were just crying out. We live where Oregon State is. And there's lots of nations coming. And, and at that time, there was a lot less. But there was this prophecy given at one of our first prayer meetings. And the prophecy was that God was going to bring the nations to Calvary Corvallis. And you know, you hear something like that, and you go, yeah, everybody wants that, right? Like, I'm, that would, I mean, sure, they'll all, sure the nations will come, but you know what? We believed God. He gave a word, and we believed him. We believe, God, you're going to bring the nations here. And I want to just bring up a picture of what my Christmas Eve service looked like. This was the front row Christmas Eve this year. Go, go back to the slide, the previous slide, the listing of the nations. That's just the front row on Christmas Eve. Guys, let me tell you, I could hardly stand upright. You ask, you'll receive, your joy will just overflow. It's banks. We had a uh, international barbecue this last summer. Hundreds of students, I have a videotape of it, from 30 different nations lined up at the barbecue. 30 different nations. We had an international barbie or a Thanksgiving this year. It was the largest one we ever had from 40 nations, hundreds of students at Calvary Corvallis. Talk to a guy from Saudi Arabia. How long you been here? Oh, I just flew in two nights ago. Ever been to a church before? Never in my life. This is awesome. You know, can you, like, I was going to say, can you believe this? Like, yes, I can believe it. Prayer. We were talking at the men's retreat. One of the pictures God's given me for our church is it's like being out on the front of the ski boat with a paddle. And you really want to see God move. You're really trying to get that ski boat going. You got your paddle. You're just, you're just sweating. You're grunting. And very little is happening. But you know what? When you're praying... When it's God who begins to stir you, when, 
when God begins to move, when you begin to listen and get behind what God's doing, it feels a lot more like being behind a ski boat. And you're in the wake, and you're just having a great time. That's a great place to be is in the wake of God, not out ahead of God. You know, we got these good ideas. Maybe we should do this, and maybe we should do that. That's such painful ministry. It's so exciting when a church begins to pray. Oh, it's so exciting. I'm just going to finish with um, prayers for my kids. Tell me if you believe this is true. I, it's, it's, it's been there in my heart for a long time. The closer a people get to God, the more they care about kids. You bear witness to that? I bear witness to that with everything within me. The closer a man of God is to God, the more he cares about his kids. The closer a church gets to God, the more they care about kids. The closer a a society is to God, they care about kids. The further a society gets away from God, they discard kids. Kids are neglected. The further away a man is, the less he's pouring into his kids. And I tell you, over the 25 years I've been at Calvary, I came with a one-year-old, there has been something in my heart, God, I don't want to fail as a parent. I don't care if I, if I succeed in the ministry or not, but I, I cannot fail as a parent. And over the years, and I know you pray for your kids too, man, every prayer meeting I'm ever in, I pray for my kids. Every church service I'm ever in, I pray for my kids. Every retreat I'm ever at with you, man, I'm praying for my kids. You know, my kids, your kids, if you're close to God, you care for your kids. Let me bring up a picture of my oldest that we came to Corvallis with. This is Lauren. Tells you how beautiful my wife is. I'm not going to show you a picture of my wife today. <laughs> Let me just take a sub, sub point here. 28 years of marriage, the greatest thing happening in my life on earth is my marriage. The most joy, the best friendship. Or, or you say, yeah, that's because your kids are just leaving home. That's when it really gets good. <laughs> I had no idea it could get this good. My parents didn't even sleep in the same bedroom. I had no idea marriage could be as good as it is. I think the last eight years, of 28 years marriage, it just keeps getting better. If you would have told me as a 25-year-old newly married that at 53 marriage could be better than 25, I would have said that's impossible. The first five years are going to be the best it ever gets wrong. Marriage can just become better and better. Okay, I'm on a tangent. Let's come back. So here's my daughter. Just She's so beautiful. My wife, oh my goodness. We talked about it a lot as, as men. Man, I'll just refrain, but... This is my daughter at medical school. She's in her first year. We lost her her senior year in high school. We just lost her. First oldest child, public school, dating an atheist from Corvallis High School. The future dad of my grandkids, an atheist. Oh, my goodness, we prayed and prayed and prayed. I've prayed thousands of prayers. We labored in prayer to see Lauren come back to the Lord. Boy, you talk about asking and receiving. 
You, you're burdened for your kids. You keep praying. Don't stop praying. Press in in prayer for your kids. I'll show you a picture of Lauren on her wedding day. This is Jake. He, he is the answer to my prayers. 20 years, Susie and I prayed for a husband for our oldest daughter. Jake loves the Lord. He's passionate about the Lord. Lauren's a little strong, you know, doctor, pre-med. She's strong. Jake has that strength to point her to the Lord and lead her. On their wedding day, I was able to testify. We talk about, you talk about asking and receiving. On their wedding day, I was able to publicly testify this is the answer to my prayers. All those prayers for my daughter are answered in this man. Show you my other daughter, Jessica. I did her wedding this uh, summer. OSU student. This is Ben. <laughs> I don't know what to say about Ben. Ben, this man loves Jesus, loves God, passionate, oldest son in his family, the leader for all the other kids. Oh, my goodness, that my daughter married into this family, we hit the jackpot. Both my daughters, I'll tell you the greatest honor I've ever had in my life, greatest honor I've ever received in my life is the honor of both my daughters asking me to do their weddings. And to stand on that day with my second daughter, And the same thing, to be so overwhelmed that I have prayed and prayed, and not perfectly, and there's been seasons I stopped praying, but I have prayed and prayed and prayed. And on that day, I can't even tell you the awareness. This is the man I have been praying for my whole life. I now have, I now have two sons that I love. This Christmas was the best Christmas we've ever had. My daughters, my sons. You ask, you receive, your banks will overflow with joy. This is, so, this is my son on the left, my 18-year-old. This is Josh. Josh is a pastor's kid. It's not easy. It's not easy being a pastor's kid in a church and everyone, what everyone expects of him. And you know what? Josh is a good kid who doesn't do bad things. But Josh hasn't yet experienced the spirit or the power of prayer. You know what happened this week? Um, The week before our, our, just keep that up because I love that picture and I want you to look at it. (laughs) Very proud of that picture. Um, The week before our prayer meeting, our week of fasting and prayer, year 11, we called it humble. We were in the prayer meeting and God spoke to my heart. And he spoke this phrase, this is the year. I started singing it in the songs. I started changing the lyrics. I started just singing. I'm just believing you, God. This is the year. I don't know what it's the year, but this is the year. Praying it's the year for a lot of things. And I, I don't have time to tell you all that God did during our week of fasting and prayer, but I'll just, I'll just share with you one thing that happened. Josh came to us before the week of fasting and prayer. I've been praying for that man and praying for that. 18. Praying and praying. And he came to Susie and I he said, Hey, I'm 18 now. Don't make me go to the week of fasting and prayer. 
we're like, you're 18. We're not, we're not going to make you go to the week of fasting and prayer. You know, in the past, we've always encouraged him, strongly encouraged him to go to one morning, one evening. We just want him to taste of it. It's like I'd encourage you men that didn't go to the men's retreat. You just have to go to the next one. And there's every reason why you can't and don't and won't, but you should. And so Josh said, okay, so don't make me go. And we go, okay, Josh. And Susie kind of looked at me like, we're not going to make him go to even one. And, you know, we had that kind of look to it at each other. And I said, Jake or uh, Josh, you're 18. You don't have to go. And I don't even think he exhaled before he said, good, because there's 10 friends on my heart I want to invite to this year's uh, fasting and prayer. And I want to go to all the morning ones because the morning prayer times, that's where all the young people go. Over 150 young people packing into the prayer chapel every morning at 6 a.m. And Josh goes, I want to go to all the morning ones, and I'm going to go to these night ones. And I'm just looking at it, I'm like going, oh my gosh. And you all will see, you'll see if it happens, and you know, if he's speaking it out. Well, the highlight, the highlight for year 11, this is the year Josh went to every morning prayer meeting. On Wednesday, he had a final Talk about joy. On Wednesday, he had a final. He set his alarm, and Josh is not a disciplined young man. He set his alarm for 3.30 in the morning to study so he could not miss a single 6 a.m. prayer meeting. Guys, I, t- I tell you, this, this, this is the year. The, the, I, this is the year of all the things did that the Lord moved in our son, Josh. Tuesday night at OSU, Josh was in the circle next to me. Josh brought friends to the college prayer meeting. Josh had his hands laying on other people, praying for him. Oh, my goodness. We get in the car. He says, I think my gift might be praying for people. And I'm like. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You ask and you'll receive. You know, it's, it's possible that hearing about all our stories, that some of your stories are really, really hard, and it's kind of hard to hear it. You know what I'd say to you? Keep asking. Ask more. You know what my number one prayer for Josh is every day of my life right now? <sighs> Lord, just keep blowing on him. <sighs> Every time I pray, I'm praying, Lord, just blow. Just keep blowing on that young man. Ask. Keep asking. You'll receive. And your joy will be full 